0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Ephesians chapter number three, Paul is going through continuing the thought about the Gentiles being now joint heirs and part of the family of God, the body of believers. The Jews had a very closed mindset. If you think about Paul, Paul was saying, I'm a prisoner, I'm a prisoner. He was reminding them that he was a prisoner to to the Lord Jesus Christ, but also literally a prisoner. He was in jail. And if you go back to the book of Acts in chapters 20 through 22, you'll find out that Paul, after he was, how many know Paul was let out of prison, locked back up, let out of prison, locked back up. Why? Because they would say, now don't go preach the gospel again. And he would go and do it. And, uh, And especially what he would do is he'd go into the synagogues and he would first he would go and preach in the synagogues, and then he would go and preach in the streets. They would throw him out of the synagogues when he preached to the Jews, and then he would go to the Gentiles, and sometimes the Gentiles would pick, take up stones and stone him. Sometimes they would lock him up for what he was doing. In the case of uh, when he went to Philippi, you can see they beat him, through a in prison. At midnight, he's saying praises to God. God shook the prison. The Philippian jailer falls down. Sirs, what must I do to be safe? Philippian church is born from the house of the Philippian jailer as they were saved and those believers began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and many more people came to Christ and that church flourished and grew. It was a great memory for Paul. And so Paul repeated this again and again every place that he went. And he went to, uh, uh, into the synagogue and after he was locked up, you go back to Acts in verses, chapters 20 through 22, and Paul goes in the synagogue begins to preach. And they were okay with what he was saying for the most part. And then he got to this, this mystery, and he said the Gentiles can be saved. And to the Jews, the Gentiles were dogs. We are not like them. We are not aligned with them. They are not part. They cannot be saved. Uh, And so they were very short-sighted about salvation. Can I I help us this morning? God revealed this mystery to us so we would not be short-sighted about who Christ could save. He's able to save to the uttermost them that come to him by faith. And so he, he is, he's making sure that we understand the gospel is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to the Jew and to Gentile. Uh, for there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord is, over, uh, is, overall, uh, uh, is rich unto all that call upon him, Paul said. And so he's, he's telling us, reminding us, and, and Paul was locked up for revealing this mystery to the Jews. And uh, again, it was repeated over and over and over again. But this church at Ephesus, he's reminding them of what they have in Christ, their position in Christ, their possessions in Christ, and who they are in Christ. And here's the thing. The devil does not want Christians to operate within the realm of their identity. He wants them to take on some other identity. He is happy with you trusting in your works. He is happy with you trusting in in your own belief system. He understands that once you believe the gospel, you unlock a power that he cannot touch that he cannot change, that he cannot pervert and twist, that he cannot steal away from you, and now you become, for all intents and purposes, a weapon. And he cannot stop us when when we go in confidence and access and faith and we use the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Jesus was a great example for that. So Christians aren't supposed to live this anemic, defeated, faithless life that we see many Christians who call themselves Christians living today. We're supposed to be vibrant and living an abundant life in Christ and bold and confident, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit of God and proclaiming the truth in the gospel, unashamed. Isn't that what we're supposed to be? Come on, I understand my point of what I'm supposed to do today. It's not to give you the tools, it's to remind you the tools you have in Christ. It's not to give you the grace. It's to remind you of the grace you have in Christ. I'm not here to give you anything. I'm here to remind you of what you have in Jesus. I don't have anything to offer you but what's in God's word. This is what God has for us. Every believer has this access. We all have the same spirit. I don't have more access than you do. There's none of us that have more access. Paul was even reminding us of that as he said, I'm less than the least. Paul was saying, I don't have any more access than you do. It's all through grace. It's God's grace that this has been delivered and given to us. And Paul's position was to be a minister. He was the one that God chose to bridge the gap between Jew and Gentile, to be the apostle who would reveal this secret and this mystery. And get this, the Bible is not a book to be decoded. The Bible doesn't have these hidden secrets and codes to crack. And I know that you've heard the Da Vinci Code and, you know, all this, you know, the decoder. You know, anybody remember I mentioned this in Sunday school? I dated myself. The decoder ring, you know, drink your Ovaltine, right? You know, so, you know, we had to go back and, you know, so many people look at the Bible as some kind of thing that they need to crack. Some mystery needs to be revealed. No the holy spirit lives inside every believer. He leads us and guides us into truth. He's able to teach us all things. He uses the preaching and teaching and the study of God's word to build us up in God's word, to root us and ground us in the truth so that we're not blown around. Anybody anybody see, anybody know what that's like? If you're not rooted and grounded in truth, you're blown around with every wind of doctrine. And let me tell you, there's a lot of false doctrine out there. There's a lot of things that are being said that are true that are not true. There's a lot of people that are speaking things in the name of Jesus that are not in God's word. Can I help you? If someone's saying something that's contrary to the word of God, it is not true. It is not true. If I say something, it's not true. God's word is the standard. It's the only authority for faith and for practice. And so we believe in the word of God and we're not trying to hide it from you. We want you to have a copy. As a matter of fact, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, we will give you one today. We want you to have the Bible. We want you to read the Bible. We want you to study the Bible. And we don't have another book that we want you to decode the Bible through. The Mormons will give you the Book of Mormon. JWs will give you the Watchtower. Everybody wants to give you another book. You don't need another book. just need this one. And you don't need another mediator. You don't need another go-between. You don't need another advocate. You have them in Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only advocate you need, the only mediator you need. I don't need to hear your sins confessed to me. Confess them to God. Tell them to Jesus. He knows your heart. He's the only one able to forgive you and to cleanse you. And he's faithful and just to do it. That's what the Bible tells us. And so when we think about this, uh, Paul is kind of highlighting what he's been given in Christ. And if you think about preaching, we need to hear preaching. That's why we need to come to church. God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. God God has chosen the preaching and teaching of his word. You need to come to church because you need to hear preaching. You need a regular dose of, of, of preaching that is from God's word. Let me preface it with that. Biblical preaching. And few practices will energize and affect your Christian life much as sitting attentively under faithful preaching. Let me say this. Coming to church does not save anyone. Coming to church helps the saved, helps believers to access and to realize and to... Uh, tap into what they already have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of like, uh, I mentioned this this morning, what a coach does with a team. He's not equipping them in a sense of giving them their, their uniforms and, their, and, their, and their, uh, their padding and their helmets and all that. He's not giving them abilities. He's motivating, about, motivating them about what they already have. I'm not here to give you abilities. Christ has given those to you. I'm just here to motivate you and to build you up about acting on and confidently and boldly acting in the abilities you already have access to and what you already have at your fingertips. Look at what God has given you and realize that he's given it to you. You don't have to work to get it. You don't have to work to get into a relationship with God. Christ did all the work. And you don't have to work to get God to love you. He already loves you. He loves you as much as he's ever going to love you. This is not a relationship where I'm trying to get God to love me. He loves me. I work because I love him. Because I'm so grateful for what he's done. Because I'm so thankful. And that makes so much more sense, doesn't it? Because I go to work every day because I love my wife and I love my kids. That makes sense. I'm not doing that so that that they will love me. I'm doing that because I love them. And that's what, I, that's what you do when you love someone. You work, you labor, you give. You, you're, it's not grudging. It's just natural, isn't it, for us to do that. And preaching, uh, David Mathis said this. I love this quote. Preaching is that one half hour each week when the assembly of the redeemed closes her collective mouth, opens her ears and heart, and hears the uninterrupted voice of her husband through his appointed mouthpiece, fallible though the messenger be. Think about that. You're... Husband, your lover, Jesus Christ wants to speak to you today. And I understand through a fallible mouthpiece. Don't judge his message by me. I understand I have to be qualified, but I also understand this that even though I'm qualified to hold office, I am disqualified except for the grace of God. And God's grace is what qualifies us. And Paul is speaking of the wonderful grace he received from God to be an apostle to the Gentiles as he addresses the church at Ephesus and us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, verse 7, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of gra- the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Well, that is a great verse to those that preach and minister. What are we supposed to preach? The unsearchable searchable riches of Christ. That should be the content. And in other parts of the worship service, we have an opportunity to respond and participate. But it is the spiritual discipline of preaching that quiets us, that causes us to only receive and focus on the Word of God. When we make it a habit to weekly put ourselves in the position of listening to the preached Word of God, we're not only being obedient to God's Word, we're putting ourselves in the position to have a renewed and adjusted perspective. And when it comes to the grace of preaching, it's equally important that the messenger is prepared to deliver God's word and that the church is prepared to receive God's word. You know, just as much as you expect me to prepare to deliver the word of God, I should hold you to an equal accountability to be prepared to hear the word of God, to receive the word of God. Isn't there preparation that needs to be made in our lives in order to receive God's word? Clearing our hearts and minds. How about this? Just showing up at the appointed time. We get here, and we worship, and we serve. That's me being prepared, considering others, provoking others to love and to good works. Get this, if you want church to be convenient, you don't want church because it's not convenient. It's a relationship, so it's a commitment. It's kind of like someone who enters into marriage and says, I want this relationship to be convenient. There's nothing convenient about a marital relationship. It, It requires commitment. And so if you're looking for convenience, you will find quickly irreconcilable differences in that relationship. It's like somebody saying, I'm going to have children because it's convenient. How many know if you've had children, there's nothing convenient at all about having children? Nothing. So you don't have children because it's convenient. You have children because you're committed. You have a committed relationship. And you're committed in that relationship, and you're going to fulfill your responsibility. And so uh, parents really got to laugh, and kids are like, what are they laughing about? I mean, I'm just the easiest kid in the world to be a parent, too. And so we understand that um, it's our job to be prepared. It's kind of like uh, when your spouse talks and you load instead of listen. You know, you know what that's like? You know, some people, when they listen to preaching, they're loading. They're not listening. It's like I'm preparing my, I'm comparing my, my response. I'm comparing my objection. I'm preparing that. God says, listen, listen to the Word of God. Listen to what they're saying. How many have ever had your spouse say, are you listening to me? No, I've already got my rebuttal, and I'm waiting for my time to give it to you. And I'm not listening to what you're saying. We have to listen. God wants you to listen today. The Holy Spirit wants you to listen. Let me talk about a few things this morning, and we'll be done in the time that we have. Number one, I want you to see the character of the preacher here. The character of the preacher. This is not a mystery anymore. Grace has revealed this to Paul. Paul has revealed this to us. The Holy Spirit has really revealed it to us through his word. So the character of the preacher. The preacher is not pursuing a platform. He's pursuing the pleasure of Christ. So get this. Paul is saying, my pursuit in preaching is not a platform. It's not a position. My pursuit in preaching is the pleasure of... Of Jesus Christ. And get this. That's supposed to be every preacher's pursuit. I am not here today to tickle the ears. I'm not here to tiptoe through the tithers. I'm not here to uh, avoid what God's word says to make you happy. I'm not here to just give you what you want to hear so you'll come back. And so that you'll participate in the offering. I'm here to give you the truth. And my pursuit is God's pleasure. God's pleasure. And as we preach God's word, God wants the preacher to pursue the pleasure of Christ and not the pleasure of the people. How many know that you will not give truth if you're just looking to please the person you're talking to? If you love God, you have to give the truth. You have to, and we do it in love. And by the way, you don't have to be angry. And sometimes I look at preachers like, why are you so mad about? We are you so angry about? This is a great thing to talk about. You don't have to be angry. You know, this is not a... Um, A scolding, although the word of God does reprove and rebuke and correct and instruct us. But notice, I'm not here to do that. God's word is doing that in your life. The Holy Spirit does that in your life. Conviction is a welcome thing in the life of a Christian. And chastening is a welcome thing in the life of a Christian because God's correcting us and instructing us. Notice the character of the preacher. Verse number one, he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's hooked on Christ, he's hooked to Christ. He's wanting Jesus to get all the pleasure from the message. Not only is he hooked on Christ, but he's humbled by the calling. Notice verse number 8, I'm less than the least. When we have a calling of God on our lives, it's not to build us up in the flesh, it's to humble us. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And the preaching that goes on and on about the preacher himself, where he's always angling on how the hearer should apply this or that to the daily life, does so at the expense of tapping in to the very power of preaching Namely, a preoccupation with Jesus Christ. This is what's supposed to happen today. You're supposed to and I'm supposed to be preoccupied with Jesus, not ourselves. You know, sometimes we're so preoccupied with ourselves that we cannot hear the message. I want this. I want this. I want this. How about this? Jesus, what do you want? I'm preoccupied with you. I'm preoccupied with your will. As I preach, I'm not supposed to be preoccupied preoccupied with myself. What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to see happen? No, no, Christ, what do you want? What do you want to do through me? What do you want to do in your church? The the greatest aim of preaching is to get those that listen and the one that is doing the preaching all to be together, preoccupied with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the highest call for all of us as a church. Here, look unto Jesus, because if you look here, you're going to see flaws. I look there, I see flaws. You say, well, you're not, not my row." Listen, <laughs> trust me, sometimes you're weird. Sometimes you do things you shouldn't do. I mean, I understand that you think you're the most normal person here. Church can be a weird place sometimes because we pretend and we put on masks and, we, and we, can, we can act like something is a certain way, and it's not. This is not a place to pretend. This is a place for preoccupation with Jesus. This is a place for us to be real and to be honest because he sees us. He judges and knows our intents and our thoughts. This is not a place for us to wave around smoke and do ritual things either. This is a place for us to worship the Lord together and edify and encourage each other. And there's the character here of the preaching. Notice he's hooked on Christ. He's humbled by the calling. He's hopeful for the church. If you look, look at verses 15 through 21, which we're going to look at next week, but he's hopeful about what the future of the church. Verse 14, he says, because of this, for this cause, I bow my knees. And he says, I'm able, as Pastor Justin read uh, this morning in in verse number 21, to know the love of Christ, just pass knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul was positive about the church. You want to see somebody that is not preoccupied with Christ or preoccupied with circumstances in the world, they are negative about the church. Well, you know, church just doesn't work anymore. You know, we we don't need that anymore. You know, it's just the church is dead and there's no good preachers and there's no good churches and there's no good whatever. Listen, church, there are no perfect churches as there are no perfect people. There are no perfect pastors as there are no perfect people. It's amazing because everybody wants the pastor to be young and to be old, to be wise and to be energetic, to be this, and to, to make every hospital call and to do this and to be... Listen, I'm not Superman and I'm not trying to be. We are here to collectively together to do the work of God and the will of God together as a body of Christ. And I know what my... This is my job. This is what I'm supposed to do as the preacher. Preach the word. But here, here we are. We are hopeful about the church and the future. Because in the end, guess what? Resurrection, glorification, forever with the Lord. How could you be negative about that? I mean, how could you be on the negative outlook on the church? And here's the thing. If Christ has left the church in the world today, you think that he abandoned us, that he forgot about us, that he's turned his back on us? Absolutely not. He has us here for a purpose and a reason. We should thrive in that. We should be thankful for it. Notice the character of the preacher. Number two, the content of the preaching. There's only three points, so we're halfway there. Take a breath. You're okay. We'll get to lunch in a minute, all right? The content of the preaching. The content of the preaching. Notice... The character of the preacher was not pursuing a platform but the pleasure of Christ. The content of the preaching, something I say often, not longer list but deeper love. Not longer lists, but deeper love. It was trying to compel the people. A lot of times preaching can be about do this, do that, apply this, apply that. Go home with this long checklist of homework that you have to do. And it's do, do, do. How many know? <laughs> you leave and you're like, I'm already tired from, I don't know why I'm tired. I've been sitting for two hours. I shouldn't be tired. I haven't done anything. And half of you took a half hour nap somewhere in here. So you're like, I don't know, you know why I'm so exhausted, because this is a spiritual thing. That's why. It's, it's emotionally exhaustive, it's spiritually exhaustive. We are we are exercising something that the flesh is against and contrary, and the world is against and contrary. And get this we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, we're wrestling against principalities and powers. This is something that's draining. And sometimes I, I literally can leave the pulpit and feel like I just went 15 rounds. And it's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's just draining because it's a fight. It's a battle. And there's times where we have great liberty in Christ. It feels just like it was light. And there was nothing that was hard because it just depends on the spirit, doesn't it? Isn't the spirit willing? And the flesh is weak, isn't it? Sometimes we come in and we have to resist the flesh. And, you know, the devil will very gladly send believers into places where he can't go, especially if they're going to discourage and and accuse and be bitter and unforgiving and bring that into the church and become servants of the devil instead of servants of Christ. Notice the content of the preaching is not longer lists but deeper love. Verse 8, he says, That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Notice the content. The content is, verse 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Verse number 10, that might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. So this is easy. What is the content? The content, the Bible tells us, the content of preaching is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Preaching doesn't have to seek the lesser content of self-help, psychological therapy, or motivational speaking, because the riches of the wealth we have in Christ are inexhaustible and unsearchable. I am not a self-help speaker. I am not a motivational speaker. I don't have to seek those lesser contents. Because the content we have is the unsearchable riches of Jesus. And so I'm not here to give you self-help knowledge. I'm not here to be some motivational leadership guru to you. I'm a pastor. What we have is deeper than that. What we have is stronger than that. What we have is greater than that. And some preachers have, for money's sake become hirelings that have have divorced themselves from the content of the Word of God so that they could become motivational speakers and book writers and authors instead of preachers of the Word of God. And God says, preach the Word. Be instant in season and out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering. He tells us, hey, listen, the content of the preacher is God's Word. What are we doing when the content of the preacher becomes current events? I mean, when we just, you know... The, the whole four points in a poem thing like what in the world are we doing when it's just a comedy routine and i'm okay with trying to wake people up and that's some of what i'm trying to do right now you know uh, waking people up and moving around and trying to i know what i'm i know what i'm uh, competing against you got that screen and it's just so entertaining all the lights woo you know and i and i don't know how jonathan edwards did it when he just held the candle and read his sermon but i tell you what it was It was not the preacher. It was the power of God. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. It was the receptivity of the people hearing. It was the working of the Spirit of God through us. We don't need to to turn church into entertainment. By the way, church does a poor job competing with it. We don't have enough money. We can't compete with entertainers. We can't compete with all this stuff that's in the world. I tell you, we don't need to compete. We have something they don't have. We have the unsearchable riches of Jesus. If church would just do what we're, what we're called to do, we would maximize what we're supposed to do just by, hey, listen, the, the, the centerpiece, the focal point is God's word. God's word. It's not the music. I love music and I enjoy it, but i tell you, the centerpiece is, is this. All that stuff is appetizer. This is, this is the meat. This is, this is what we came for. This is what we came to eat. This is what we desire. And by the way, you can go to a restaurant that has poor atmosphere, and they have great food. Have you ever been to that hole in the wall that serves that? Tony was telling me about this great hamburger place he was describing to me. It sounded horrible, the place. But I wanted what he was talking about because he was talking about the meat, the food, the burger. How many with me? Some of you salivating. already right, I said meat, burger. All right. I'm sorry for some of you, veggie burger. Don't judge me, Romans 14, if you don't eat meat and I, okay, we got it. That Romans 14 is tonight, by the way, if you come back. <coughs> so we, we, are, we are understanding that what are we supposed to center and focus on? The food. Feed the flock of God, he says the preacher that is among us. Feed the flock. What do they need? They don't need my opinion. They don't need my preference. They don't need my political position. They don't need, they don't need my, my funny... Whatever, they need God's word. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what he's saying. Preach the word. The, the content not longer lists, but deeper love. The unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. The revealed mystery of the church. Look at verse number 9. The greatest thing that we can share with people is, I know a secret. Here's the secret. Jesus Christ came to die for all people, for the sins of the world, and anybody that comes to him in faith through the grace of the God and the work of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of God's word, the conviction of God's spirit. Anybody who responds to that can be saved. What are we doing talking about other things? We have, we have, to, God, we have got to get back focused on this, church. We have to be the preachers of God's word. All of us have been called to preach the gospel. Every single one of us. Not every one of us has been called to pastor and not every one of us can be qualified to pastor, but all of us are qualified to preach the gospel. All of us are qualified and all of us are called. If you want to preach something, that's the best thing you can preach. Ladies too. Come on, you've been waiting for your opportunity. I know. You're not going to hold office as as a pastor to preacher, but you can preach. You can teach. You can help. I mean, we're not, we're not, uh, God's chosen a, a few for the office. Not many wise. not many, not, understand the position you're being called to. He has already said, not many noble, not many wise. You say, oh, now I understand why my pastor was called. Some of you will get that later, all right? The ministry of this word in scripture is stewarding and heralding God's word in such a way that people encounter God through his word. And that's the content. God made Paul a steward of the mystery with the responsibility of sharing it with the Gentiles. It was not enough simply to win them to Christ and form them into local assemblies. He was also to teach them their wonderful position in Christ as members of the body sharing God's grace equally with the Jews. Equally. That was the problem that they had. Spiritual equality. They were having a problem sharing these riches, these promises, these covenants with these Gentile dogs. And God was saying, no, this is the purpose for which I sent the Messiah. This is my eternal purpose for which I did all of these things. And while Paul is conveying what he was a unique steward of, he was also revealing what every preacher is a steward of as well. We're not only stewards of the gospel, but we're also stewards in preaching to God's people their wonderful position in Christ. You know what I want to remind you today? That you have a wonderful position in Jesus Christ. That that you don't need to fear, that you don't need to feel condemned, that you don't need to be uh, sucked into the the rat race that's out there to try to find acceptance. You are accepted in the beloved. You are loved of God. You are unshackled from the chains of your sin. You are not condemned because you have received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to stand fast in that identity. Because if you don't, all of the ground is sinking sand. I mean, you're going to be blown around, and it doesn't mean that trouble's not going to come. Be sure of this. Trouble will come to all of our lives, all of us. God has never promised in our life that our life is going to be easy. He just said that when the winds and the, and the waves and the, and the tempest come, and if your house is built on the rock, you won't be knocked over. You'll stand. And rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so Paul is reminding them, verse number 10, the manifold wisdom of God. The reason many churches are weak and ineffective is because they do not understand what they have in Christ and the cause of this is often spiritual leaders who are not good stewards of the mystery because they do not rightly divide the word of truth. They confuse their people concerning their spiritual position in Christ and they rob their people of the spiritual wealth they have in Christ by preaching lesser things like preferences. And I'm, 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 I'm going to tell you, I have things that I do in my life that God has put in my life because I am weak in the flesh and I need protection. You with me? Anybody with me that you have some things that are weaknesses to you that you could easily fall into temptation and, and you need to build up some things in your life to prevent you from falling into those things? If you have a problem with looking at things you shouldn't, you should perhaps make sure that you don't have screens in unaccountable places. You with me? If you have a problem with alcohol, you should not go to the bar. If you, if, you have, if you have a problem with, with all these things, hey, listen, you avoid those things which cause you to fall, and you've got to have to build up some things in your life that may be preferential to other people. But I tell you, I don't want to challenge someone else's personal standards and convictions in their life that they're protecting themselves with. And if God put those in your life, then you hold to them. But don't you judge people through the lens of them. And God called us all to personal standards and convictions in our lives, and I understand that we're going to differ in those matters. But let's not think that we don't need any. Let's not be foolish and think, oh, I can just throw caution to the wind and just do anything I want. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You know, uh, should, should we just, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. I may be allowed to do things, but there's the, mature, the mature person says, not can I, the mature person says, should I? It's not everything that I'm allowed to do that I should do. It's as I mature. When I became a parent, I understood that. It wasn't what I was allowed to do is what I should do because there's little eyes watching me. And I'm going to be a stumbling block. And here's this church. There's little eyes watching you. They may not be little in stature. They may be adults, physically speaking, but they may be spiritual babies and they need you to be a good example. There's little eyes watching you. And so what, what do we do? For the weaker brothers in Christ, we give up our liberty. We don't, we're not stumbling blocks to them. And so when people think, oh, you're just doing that because you're legalistic and you think that this is how everybody should. No, no, we're trying to not be a stumbling block to people. We're trying to be the best presentation of Jesus Christ that we could possibly be and we are not reveling and standing pridefully in what we do outwardly. We are understanding that we have been changed and transformed, renewed in our minds by the grace of Jesus Christ and that has put us in a position where we gave up some freedoms so that we can love people. Anybody love someone that caused you to have to give up some things that you like to do? It's part of love, isn't it? Anybody who doesn't understand that doesn't know love. Love means I give up for who I love. And I gladly do it. It's not grievous to me. The great truth concerning the church is not a divine afterthought. It's part of God's eternal purpose in Christ. Look at verse number 11. The eternal purpose which he purposed. To summarize in a statement then, the content of grace-filled preaching is to declare the character we have received from Christ and to define with clarity who we are in Christ. He says that he that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, verse 16, to be strengthened with might by the spirit of the, uh, in the inner man. I'm not going to get into those verses because we don't have the time, but lastly, and we're done. Notice, not only the character of the preacher and the content of the preaching, but the consequence of the preaching. The consequence of the pre- preaching. It's not a mystery anymore. It's not a mystery anymore. Not consumed with self, but consumed with God. Since the character of the preacher is to be humble and the content of the preaching is to be honest it is only natural then for the consequence of the preaching to be holy. Did you get that? Since the character of the preacher is to be humble and the content of the preaching is to be honest, it is only natural then for the consequence of the preaching to be holy. Because that's what happens. Consequently, the result of spirit-filled preaching is a desire to be holy like God is holy. That's what He produces in our lives. Notice verse number 11, an embraced purpose. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's calling. He's embracing his calling. Notice not only an embraced purpose, but an increased hope. That's confidence. Notice verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. You know what you need today? You don't need self-help and motivational speaking to give you more self-confidence. You need the word of God and the truth to give you more Christ-confidence. He says, have no confidence in the flesh. Some trust in chariots, but we trust the name of the Lord our God. Don't put your faith in lesser places. The object of your faith is just as important as your faith. Where you put your faith. What is your faith in? Some people say, I have faith. I believe in God, but their faith is not in God. Their faith is not in Christ. Their faith is in their works. Their faith is in what they do. If your faith is in anything but Jesus today, then your faith is misplaced. Your faith shouldn't be in the religious organization. Your faith shouldn't be in me. Your faith shouldn't be in the Baptist church. Your faith should be in any church by name organization. Your faith is in the savior of the church, the sanctifier of the church, the chief cornerstone and foundation of the church, Jesus Christ. That's where our confidence is. That's where our faith is. Get this, you can be confident and sure and fast because you have access through Christ into the holiest of holies. Come boldly, he says. Find grace to help in time of need. You know what the greatest thing about being saved is? Access to God. Anytime, anywhere, any place. You have access. That is some of the greatest truths that we can learn. That I have access. I have the entry. I don't have... The veil has been rent in twain. There's no more holy holy place that only one person can go into we can all go into the holy of holies here's the question have you been there this week access does not mean that I have taken advantage of that access you ever go to a uh, resort and you have all the amenities and they have a you read the thing well they have a they have a, a, a fitness center I'm I'm not going to use that, you know. They have a, they have a, because you went on vacation to work out, right? That's why you went. That's what I do. See, I mean, you you can see that already. But you went and access. You have all these amenities. The buffets there. This is that. There. If you never go to the places, that's your fault. God says this. You have access, but He doesn't force you to come. He just says come. He invites you to come. He wants you to come. He encourages you to come. He reminds you to come. He says over and over again, come, come, come. Would you come, would you come, would you come? Come on, would you spend some time with me? And every day, the Holy Spirit of God says, spend time with God, spend time with God, spend time with God. Get into his word, pray, talk to God. And sometimes we just say, too busy. Too busy for what? Too busy to eat? How I might know if you're too busy to eat, after a while, you're going to be very weak. You know why a lot of Christians are weak? Because they're too busy to eat. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. I desire God's word more than my necessary meat, Job said. What do we need? We need God's word. You don't eat. You're going to be weak. You're going to be anemic. You're not going to feel confident and bold and, and, and uh, hopeful. No wonder we come in, sometimes nobody knows the troubles I've seen. And we're, we're pouting, and we're feeling sorry for ourselves. You have access, go, the food is prepared and ready, go eat it. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him. God says, hey, here it is, but I can't make you eat it. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He tells you to do it, but he can't make you do it. The consequence of the preaching, an embraced purpose, a calling, an increased hope, a confidence, a strengthened endurance, a courage. Notice what he says in verse number 13, wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory, a strengthened endurance, that I faint not at my own tribulations and I don't faint at others' tribulations. Listen, when I look at the, the church in the world today that's being persecuted, I don't know about you, but that makes me shake and tremble a little bit. Because I don't trust me enough. If you were in that situation where you were going to have to lose your home, your family, your life, if you stood for the Word of God, read the Word of God, prayed, and worshipped God, would you continue to do it? If the answer is, I don't know, we need to check. We need to check ourselves. Because we should say, no matter what the circumstances, I would be faithful to God's word. And Here's the truth today. While we revel in the exchange of political power, while we revel in what is going on in conservatism in America, while we revel in some of these things that we're talking about as being protectors of religious liberty, let us not be those that sit on the couch and applaud politicians and their work Let us be the church of God that with power goes into all the world and preaches the gospel and uses the religious freedom and access that we have to do what God's called us to do. Because God did not give this calling and this command to politicians. He gave it to the church. By the way, you know who's supposed to be caring for the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the halt? Not the government. We are. We have to do it. We have to make a difference. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Christians are supposed to be doers of good in the world, not complainers, not gripers, not crazy people doing crazy things. Good people, loving people. Loving God and loving people in this world. You think there's people across the street from you that need love, people in the community that need love. There are are homeless shelters and soup kitchens and homeless people all around us. I am tired of the political rhetoric of people who say they would help people in other countries who need help when there's people here in our country that we're not helping. Let's help everybody that we can. And it's our job, by the way, to do that. We, we, We are defining ourselves as a church through politics, and that is a poor lens to define oneself. We are Christians. We are children of God. We are not a political party. And God has called us to steward this, to be stewards of the mystery of God. Get this, you know the secret now, but you're not supposed to keep it a secret. Did you get that? Paul knew the secret, told us the secret, so that we would tell the people the secret, so it wouldn't be a secret anymore. It was a mystery. It's not anymore because of the grace of God. Notice lastly, there was an embraced purpose, a calling, an increased hope, a confidence, a strength, and endurance, a courage, a deepened love, a commitment. 19, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which is past the knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. The highest grace of preaching is encountering Christ, to know and adore Him and enjoy Him as our greatest treasure. This significantly changes our perspective and experience of preaching and study of God's Word. What if you came to worship next time, not looking merely to hear some preacher, but to encounter God? That would change everything. My prayer this morning is that you encountered the God of this book, not encountered a great message from me because that's what we need to see today. It's Jesus Christ. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org.